Welcome to the Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital, where we explore the intersection of energy, innovation and finance. Our host is Clean Capital's co-founder and former Federal Chief Sustainability Officer, John Powers. Learn how Clean Capital is revolutionizing clean energy finance and find more episodes at cleancapital.com, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Welcome. My name is John Powers. I'm the host of Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast, where we explore the intersection between energy, innovation, and finance. You can go to cleancapital.com to get our current episodes. Today, we'll be speaking with Abigail Ross Hopper, the president and CEO of the Solar Energy Industry Association. We're going to talk to her about her personal journey in the space as well as about the growth of the solar industry and the incredible track that it's on. But we're also going to take a deep dive into the Seneva trade case that's currently threatening the $23 billion solar industry and give you some tools of what you can do to take action to help support the industry. Abby, thanks so much for joining me on the Expert Only podcast. Really excited to have you on and wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know, your amazing history in the energy space. You know, you and I first met when you were, we were both part of the Obama administration. You were the director of the Department of Interior's Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. Prior to that, you'd been uh, working in the Energy Administration in Maryland. What drove you into this industry? And tell us a little bit about your personal experiences and stories. Sure. So, John, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. Gosh, I don't think of my story as very exceptional. I just have had incredible opportunities to work in an incredibly exciting space. And so when I started working for Governor O'Malley uh, in the great state of Maryland, it was because I loved his vision of the future. I loved the idea that we could reduce our energy usage, embrace all these different kinds of technology, you know, have a much larger, lower carbon footprint um, and continue to innovate. And so that's, that's what really drove my interest in kind of the energy, renewable energy sector in general. Uh, when I went to work for the president, I had the opportunity to really mix incredibly conventional energy, right? The vast, um, the vast amount of my portfolio was oil and gas, uh, as well as renewable energy offshore. So lots of offshore wind, wave, and tidal work. Um, and then when this opportunity came up, you know, it kind of combined a bunch of my loves, right? The love of state politics. I come from working for a governor. I love how state legislatures work. I worked for a commission. I like the regulatory aspect. So that was pretty um, exciting to work and have a, have a role in, in state policy. Combined my, my knowledge and my passion for federal policy. As you know, you can really impact so much when you when you work at the federal level, absolutely. Um, as well as this, you know, what really drew me to solar was the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I am amazed by the companies that I get to work with, the CEOs I get to engage with, the the solar professionals who are always thinking about how to make their product better, faster, smarter, cheaper, and compete like crazy with each other. I just find that exhilarating to be around. That's exciting. I want to talk a little bit about the Solar Energy Industry Association. And full disclosure for listeners, Clean Capital is a, a member of, of, of SIA. And you recently become, not recently, uh, now for a good while, you've been the president, CEO of, of 
of SIA. Tell the listeners a little bit about the background of the Solar Energy Industry Association, and then who are the members, and what are you trying to achieve? Sure. So some days it feels like a while, John, and some days it feels like I'm brand new. (laughs) (laughs) So the Solar Energy Industries Association has been around for over 40 years. Um, We have a great history of advocating at the federal level, certainly, and more recently at the state level. Um, We are the voice of the national solar industry, and so we try to speak to legislators, speak to lawmakers, speak to the public um, about what this technology can do and how it can really transform our economy. Um, And we have about 1,000 members um, in our membership. We're glad that you and your company are one of them. Um, it is a it's a real diverse set of companies from manufacturers to developers to financiers, um, different you know utility scale, uh, commercial scale, uh, distributed generation. We have solar thermal uh, as part of our membership, and then kind of all of the industries that support the solar industry. So law firms, banks, engineers, environmental assessment, you know, kind of the whole gamut that makes up the solar world. Yeah, and they all gather out in Las Vegas annually at the Solar Power International. Talk a little bit about that conference and you know what happens when you get all these members together. Well, okay, here's here's my moment of disclosure. This will be my first Solar Power International, actually. Outstanding. Outstanding. <laughs> so I I have heard that it is an incredibly exciting, incredibly fun, uh, incredibly is. informative um, gathering, and so I'm really looking forward to it. I know my dance card is getting awfully full because um, as you say, you kind of have all the players right there in one place. And so capitalizing on that opportunity to have conversations, like for example, we have a conversation with our affiliates. So from around the country, all gathered in one place in person. So that will be exciting. You know, we have a gathering of CEOs of solar companies. You know, they don't hang out together in large groups all that often. So to have the opportunity to sit down and talk with them about what's on their mind. Um, so, uh, we g- sort of geographic grouping, so folks from the southeast, folks from the Midwest, talk about what's going on in their areas, and then kind of across the the categories, right? So sitting down with utility scale developers and talking with them about what's happening in their world. Um, I think it'll be a really exciting time to to do all that, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to the fun part too. Outstanding. I mean, what's really exciting about I think the the industry as a whole, and I think Solar Power International represents it is. It's getting, it's evolving and becoming so large and so strong. There's actually only a few cities that can host the event now because it's it's tens of thousands of people who come together. It's amazing. I've learned a little bit about conference planning since I've uh, had this new gig, and I I can uh, confirm your assessment that there are not that many places right. that are large enough to hold us. It's um, we are definitely a very sought after uh, conference, which is pretty exciting. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the industry. You know, we're at a point now where solar project installations are at an all time high. You know, we had enough capacity added last year, 2016, to power over 10 million homes, which is incredible. It's a 90% increase over 2015. And I think people are shocked to learn that one in every 50 new jobs uh, in the U.S. is part of the solar industry. And, you know, we're seeing now that that clean energy and solar in particular is actually has more jobs than many of the fossil fuel industries. But if you f- flash back just 10 years, this was a completely nascent industry. Talk a little bit about, for our listeners, help them understand what has driven this growth and where this industry is headed. Yeah, I mean, you you did a great job kind of encapsulating the, the rapid transformation of the industry over the last 10 years. It has been exciting, and I think there are a couple of reasons why that has happened. One is um, strong policy, right? So we've had some states in particular that have 
seeing the the opportunity and the uh, the job opportunity, the the clean climate climate opportunity, the clean air opportunity that solar provides, and said, you know what, we're gonna go big on our policy. So states like California, New York, Massachusetts, North Carolina um, have all embraced that. And so with that great, le- you know, strong support, strong policy support at the state level. Um, it has allowed uh, lots of innovation. So co- with deployment comes innovation. Uh, and so companies have figured out better ways to install projects, better ways to manufacture their product, more efficient processes. Um, and so costs have continued to come down. It has been, uh, I've had opportunity and reason to look at how costs have come down so dramatically over the last few months. Um, and so it's it's staggering to see that. I think you know, the federal government deserves a fair amount of credit for the rapid expansion of solar, they, both through the Department of Energy, their funding of SunShot, their funding of R&D, and kind of their vision on how to bring solar costs down has been really impactful. I think this, the, what we now finally have is a, you know, a stable federal tax policy, um, provides some reliability and consistency so companies can plan. And then, you know, decision makers like you were in the Obama administration that that brought those things to the forefront and said, hey, you know, we, we do lots of energy development on public lands. Let's expand that to solar. And we provide permitting and, and regulatory certainty for all of our energy sources. Solar needs to be a part of that. And so, you know, there's lots of uh, lots of credit to go around, but strong policy, rapid deployment, increasing innovation um, always drives down price. Yeah, there seems to be efficiency all across the supply chain, right, from the installation mm-hmm. side to the to uh, the financing side. And there are jobs being created all along that chain. Can you add some color for our listeners to what are these type of solar jobs that are being developed? You know, why, you know, we talk about one in every 50 new jobs in the U.S. is in solar. I think that's astounding for folks. And, you know, what, what makes these jobs, I think, so important and more importantly, so local? It's a great question, and I agree with you that um, one of the stories that's really um, incumbent upon us to tell is that story of solar jobs and and kind of your neighbors and your and your uh, community members that are employed in solar. Um, we employ more more people than Facebook, Google, and Apple combined. Which once people hear that and let that sink in, right, it kind of blows your mind because <laughs> oh. those we hold up as sort of paradigms of the ultimate American success story. So, you know, the the solar industry is is another example of an American success story um, for a couple of reasons. One is that 67% of the solar jobs do not require a college education, and so this industry is accessible to all Americans, right? All Americans right. can participate in this. So so the installation jobs are local, right? You cannot outsource getting up on someone's roof and uh, and installing their solar system. You can't you can't outsource kind of the electronics that have to go into um, wiring up solar projects. You can't outsource the large scale deployments. Um, there's there's not a way to do that. And so those jobs are local, they stay local, they provide good living wages for families. As we look over the last couple of years, um, this is not an industry that is uh, sort of concentrated only on the coast or only in blue states or, or something like that. It is really proliferating across the country. It doesn't matter if your state is red, blue, or purple. If you have good sunlight 
and uh, sort of the good economics, you're going to be able to participate in the solar industry. So there are uh, the vast majority of our states, um, solar is growing across the country. So it's a really, it's a really um, great story. And I think, um, you know, we, we're going to be talking a lot at SPI about uh, diversity in the right. solar industry. We have, com- we, uh, the Solar Foundation um, has commissioned a study. They're going to be releasing the results of that at SPI that really gives us a little bit more color into who are these solar workers, right? We have some high level statistics, 24% of solar workers are women, um, about I think 9% are veterans. And um, we know roughly about uh, African-American folks and uh, different um, people of color, but we're getting more granularity. So understanding kind of where in the value chain women are, are all the women CEOs like me or all the women admins, right? Like that's a really important distinction to make. Are they all in the finance field or are they all on top of roofs, right? Are our veterans out there installing utility scale projects or are they all lawyers? Um, so because once we know that we can we can make sure that this this um, industry remains an equitable place um, for all of our citizens to participate. Yeah, as a Iraq veteran myself, I've always been fascinated by solar ready vets and the whole spectrum that of job opportunities this is providing for those of us who transitioned out of the military. And candidly, for many of us, it was a continuation of our mission. You know, people came back from places like Iraq and Afghanistan passionate about clean energy because we saw firsthand the the other side of the spectrum. But that's a whole different conversation. A um, whole different podcast, huh? Yeah, seriously, seriously. <laughs> well, um, thank you, John, for your service. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I really want to get in, into this conversation uh, and, and dive deep on is the, the, un, the unfortunate Geneva trade case that's been developing. And for folks that don't know, so in the face of this astounding growth um, of the market, there's a new trade case that's been filed with the U.S. International Trade Commission. And it's unfortunately asking the government to put its thumb on the scale of the solar market in a negative way. And so for those who are not familiar, basically after declaring bankruptcy, Seneva in April of 2017 filed a petition later to be joined by Solar World. Um, can you give the listeners some background of this case? What are these two firms petitioning for? You know, what's the, what's the sense of the, uh, the industry around this? Sure. So you are right. Uh, in April, Seneva, then joined by Solar World, filed uh, what's called a Section 201 petition. So that is a petition in where in which those two petitioners, so I, I probably refer to them as petitioners, um, have asked the ITC to impose global trade relief. So they are saying, you know what, we this this sector of the manufacturing industry, this cell and module manufacturing, we can't compete because there are too many imports. And so as a result of that, we need to have a, sort of an umbrella. Think of it as umbrella over the United States where no imports can come in unless they're at a certain price. Therefore, there would need to be a tariff. So they, the, the things they don't allege, they do not allege that anyone is dumping. They don't allege anyone has violated our trade laws. They don't allege that you know there's any sort of malfeasance going on. This is really a case in which the, the predicate is we can't compete because there's just too many imports. And so you know, our CEO's position and the position of um, the vast majority of our members is that this is not um, an appropriate use 
of a Section 201 petition, that this is, uh, as you said, kind of two companies that really, for a variety of reasons, having to do with them and the way in which they've managed their companies, the right. markets in which they've chosen to participate and the products that they have put out into the marketplace, uh, those are the reasons why they're having financial difficulty and that it is going to be devastating to the U.S. Um, solar market if the relief they're requesting is granted. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So, you know, as someone that's in financing solar deals and if you talk to developers out there, you know, we talked earlier on the podcast about how costs have continued to come down. There's efficiency across the market. Why is that important? Because it brings down the costs uh, per kilowatt hour that we're asking a customer to pay, right, and competing against the status quo grid, it's important that it continues to drive down and we'll see more growth. But once you put a flag in, in the ground around the panels and drive up those costs, we're going to see less and less efficiency and I think cause challenges across the whole market, which I think is frustrating on the finance side, definitely frustrated on the developer side. And as we talked about where those jobs really are, you know, they're across the whole supply chain. They're not just in one bucket around manufacturing. So, you know, help us understand. So what, you know, what is SIA's position of this? What are you hearing from your members across the spectrum? And, you know, how do they view this case? So SIA's board um, took a, a very bold and courageous um, stand, which I applaud them for, which was this is, we are going to oppose this case. We are going to oppose this case because we do represent solar manufacturing. In fact, there are 38,000 Americans, over 600 companies in this country engaged in solar manufacturing. They will all be injured if this case goes through. And so, you know, we're standing up for them. We're standing up for all those developers, the utility scale developers, the residential developers, the installers, the financiers, um, and saying, you know what, this is this is not the right way to go about this. As you said, solar solar is not competing against solar. Solar is competing against other forms of energy, right? We're competing against wind and natural gas in most right. places in the country. And so our per kilowatt hour price is critically important to whether or not people are making a decision to buy wind, to buy solar, or to buy natural gas. You know, I think one of the pretty amazing evolutions of this industry is as as our prices have come down, purchases are being made based not simply on policy, but we're really, you know, the the most economically rational choice for a lot in a lot of um, situations. And so, this case threatens that status. If we raise the price of solar panels, obviously it's going to raise the price of solar energy, and and we're not going to be able to compete, and that's going to be problematic. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our, the commercial customers out there aren't are. are are doing this for for more than just the sustainability impact, right? They're they're doing it for the the triple bottom line, and cost is a major component of that. But for folks that aren't familiar with what a international trade case is, <laughs> and sort of the process of an international trade case, can you talk a little bit about what that process is, and you know where we are in the process, and you know what the next steps in that process are? Sure. So. I would say the easiest way to think about it is in three phases. And, and at the moment, we are in phase one and we'll be in phase one until September 22nd. So right now, there's a case pending with the International Trade Commission. And the question they have to answer is whether or not these companies, the petitioners, Suniva and Solar World, um, have been injured, seriously injured. Excuse me, I am a lawyer. I should get the language right. Seriously <laughs> injured uh, as a result uh, of imports. And so there's a hearing that will take place. There's briefings that will take place. And then the ITC will issue a decision on September 22nd. 
Yes, there's been injury as a result of imports. No, there has not. No, there has not. Then the case is over. If they decide, if they issue a decision September 22nd that yes, there has been serious injury as a result of imports, then we go to phase two. And phase two also has a hearing, also has briefing. Um, and the, the purpose of that phase is to come up, the, the International Trade Commission will come up with a recommendation for a remedy. So if they find there's been an injury, how do we remedy that situation? And and the purpose of the remedy, John, is to uh, allow the domestic cell and module manufacturing sector to recover, right? To to get back on stable ground and to become healthy. So, so what do they need in order to make that happen? And they will make a recommendation to the president by November 13th. And then we get to stage three, or phase three, I think I call them phases, phase three. And that is um, when the administration and the president have a decision to make about what, if any, remedy to impose. So they could, there's a variety of options. This is an area in which the administration really has um, almost unbridled uh, discretion. And they could say, yes, we're going to accept the recommendation of the International Trade Commission. They could say, no, okay, we accept that, that you found there was an injury, but we don't think any remedy is appropriate and not impose any remedy. They could say, no, you suggested X. We think X times two is the appropriate remedy. So it's really, right. um, th- there's there's a variety of options. So a great deal of uncertainty. That, that decision will need to be made by uh, early January by the president. So I want to come back to what listeners and CM members and others can do to, to influence those, those phases and mm-hmm. how they can be supportive of the work that, that the Solar Energy Industries Association is doing. But I wanted to highlight for folks that, that aren't aware, you know, in recent, this isn't an issue that's been driven by the enviros and liberals and greens. I mean, even in recent weeks, conservative groups like the Heritage Foundation have come out and joined opposition to, to Cineva's position. You know, why, uh, in your own words, why would conservative groups come out and support the Solar Energy Industries Association position. You know, I'm glad you raised that point. It Groups like the Heritage Foundation, ALEC, right, that does a lot of um, right, lobbying Alec. in state legislatures, um, the R Street Group, which is a, a very free trade oriented group, um, have all come out in opposition. I, th- I think the, the answer is pretty clear. They're, they're not coming out in support of SIA. They're coming out in opposition of trade protectionism. They're coming out in opposition of using our trade laws in a way that batters a $23 billion industry in our country. And so um, I think it is entirely consistent with their sort of their underpinnings of their organizations where they believe in free and fair trade. They believe in competition. They believe in sort of keeping the government out of, out of the sort of the marketplace. Um, And so this case where, as, as you phrased it in the beginning, where two companies are asking the government to put their thumb on the scale in their favor, it's kind of an anathema to those organizations. And so I applaud their courage and there's kind of their um, purity and in, in speaking out for this. And why does your voice matter in this current administration? You know, I think it matters because I think there, there are some who sometimes continue to see solar energy as either a, a fringe technology or, you know, motivated only by sort of environmental groups or $23 billion climate change. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) A $23 billion uh, fringe technology that was the, um, 
you know, the largest source of new generation in the United States last year. So, you know, the facts are what the facts are. And our job is to make sure that decision makers understand what the facts are. And so having voices, a variety of voices and trusted voices and sort of conservative voices uh, that can really uh, speak in a way that decision makers can hear, I think is incredibly important on this. And so we're glad the the chorus of voices is broad and and fairly um, loud on this issue. So, so with that in mind, if, if folks wanted to add their voice, so is there a specific website that folks can go to to learn more about the, these actions and these facts? Absolutely. We would welcome anyone, any company, any individual to join us in our advocacy efforts. And the best way to find out that information and kind of get added to those mailing lists is on our website, which is org backslash trade, trade as an in international trade. And that's where you'll find information and can register your company or register yourself as an individual to stay abreast of what's happening. And we also there's also uh, another coalition that has been formed, the Energy Trade Action Coalition. So if you Google that, you will find that website. Um, that is a broad group of companies, organizations, other trade associations uh, who all understand kind of the threat that this case poses. And there's opportunities to advocate within that coalition as well. Outstanding. So we'll also amplify those on our podcast site so folks can find them. And I'm going to end, Abby, with a pretty uh, different direction question for you. And I sort of ask this at the end of all of my interviews for folks. But if you could go back to yourself when you were graduating high school or even graduating college and could sit down and and have coffee with yourself and give one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? That's a really interesting question. I think the piece of advice I would have is that there, you know, I I found myself in the energy space and in this kind of job. Uh, it was a total surprise. It was not what I thought I was going to do when I was graduated from high school. It was certainly not what I thought I was going to do when I graduated from college. It wasn't even what I thought I was going to do when I graduated from law school. Um, but but what I did was I followed my passion and I followed really smart people. And so as long as I kept working for smart people and for leaders that inspired me. Uh, it took me on this journey. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Abby. Thank you so much for joining us. And I uh, look forward to being in touch here in the, the next few months as this trade case continues to, to move forward, but also obviously as the industry continues to grow. And we hope to have you back on in the future to talk about the continued uh, growth of the solar industry. Thank you. Absolutely. John, thank you so much. It was a fun conversation. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you to Abigail Ross Hopper, the president and CEO of the Solar Energy Industry Association, for joining us. It was a really interesting conversation. The industry has come a long way, but it obviously still has some challenges ahead. So I challenge you all to go to seia.org, sia.org, and backslash trade. You can find out more information about the trade case and keep updated as the continued phases hopefully will end not too long from now. I'd also like to take a second and thank our producers, Emily Connor and Lauren Glickman, and ask you to go to cleancapital.com to our podcast page, and feel free to submit your ideas on folks that we should be interviewing as we continue to explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. Thanks so much for joining us here at Experts Only.